Welcome to the Elevate Your People podcast, a place to be refreshed and energized by work again. I'm your host, Danielle Dietz. Let's talk about how we can create an environment for your people and results to thrive. This is a podcast I've been eager to share. I sat down with Joe McClung, president of Floodgate Medical, the leading talent services solution that helps medical companies accelerate sales through recruitment, retention, and market intelligence. Joe's reputation preceded him by the people who work for him. He's a leader people genuinely love to work for, and it shows through their endorsement of him and the numerous accolades Floodgate has received since Joe's leadership, including most recently a three-peat in best places to work. In this episode, you'll hear from a refreshing leader whose empowering approach gets back at the simplicity of leadership and driving results. Joe shares ways to stand out and be recognized as a leader at any level, how empowering your team members with a sense of agency increases your business's speed and accuracy, and the all-surpassing power of initiative, focus, and accountability. Enjoy this cup of Joe. Joe, thank you so much for joining me on the Elevate Your People podcast. Glad to be here. It's an honor. For guests, Joe McClung is president of Floodgate Medical and his anniversary, six-year anniversary is coming up. It is. Surprising. Time flies when you're having fun. A hundred percent. He is an FSU alumnus. He actually started his medical sales career coming fresh out of out of college. Yep. Yep. And then he rapidly progressed through different sales roles, primarily with DJO, but really entered leadership pretty early and is actually a member of C12, which is a Christian CEO organization that has chapters all throughout the country. That's correct. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Awesome. Well, besides those accolades, who is Joe really outside of the professional sphere? Yeah. You know, I'm a proud father of two teenagers, beautiful kids. I've got an absolutely incredible wife. I'm blessed to have her, you know, but you know, me personally, now my wife teases. She calls me, I have three emotions, happy, happier, and happiest. So just, I'm by nature, a very positive person. But, you know, I think for actions and personally, I think it's it's something that's, I try to really hone that energy and actions based on kind of the five Fs, you know, and have a balance, which is having faith, having family you know, having fitness, because you don't have fitness, it doesn't matter, you know? Yeah, that's uh, about health. Exactly. You know, worried about finance, but it's not everything, right? And then making sure you're having good friends. Because, you know, and if you can have a balance of that, and the wheel keeps rolling, and that's what I try to focus on. Don't always succeed, but it's always a goal. Exactly. As long as you're heading towards something. And where did that come from, actually? How did you get introduced to that? You know, one, I got it through some books I'd read, but, you know, in our C12 meetings, they have a wheel that we review once a month and we look at it. It's a little bit modifications of those five Fs, but it's basically those five, Mm -hmm. those five key principles. And we have to review those of where you are and to the whole group and the group's there every month. So they, a lot of times will go, Hey, we've noticed you've been a two at the same one forever. Are you going to do something about it? Or are you just going to, you know, you're just going to let it continue with the flat tire? You know, and so I think that's helped that accountability to be able to do that. Definitely. And to have like a dashboard. So you you have visibility on it too. 100%. Really cool. So then as far as your leadership goes, we're going to take it back to post-grad. Okay. So what interested you in getting started in medical sales specifically? Well, I was FSU in the late 90s, right? 98 is when I graduated. I mean, that was the time really where medical device really took off. 
you know, hot industry. Yeah. It was that or software and tech, right? And mm-hmm. Glad I didn't do software and tech. It's 2001. We yeah. were around for that, you know, the first dot com bubble. But medical devices where a lot of people went and a lot of my friends that graduated ahead of me, my partner here in the business graduated a year ahead of me, went to medical device. And actually we had the first job together. So it's in a lot of my friends back then or colleagues now in different ways. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, it's an incredible industry because not only is it growing, it's vibrant, but it's making tremendous impact. You know, like the developments that help people's quality of life help them live longer, help them heal faster. I mean, it's just incredible in the last 20 years, the advancements we've made and why I love this industry. I'm glad I got into it right out of college. That's awesome. So looking at your career path, you moved from an individual sales role into management, more leadership type roles earlier. So what were some of the traits that you think that they kind of saw in you that led you into leadership. Yeah. You know, I, I think, you know, what was true then is absolutely true now is absolutely true hundreds of years ago. Mm-hmm. You know, I love the quote that uh, Martin Luther says is find me the businessman in my parish and I'll find you the man who gets the job done. Love it. And so w- what I will tell aspiring leaders and I do this leadership live video and I've asked tons of leaders and I ask them a very similar question and they say the same attributes. One, it takes someone with initiative. They've got to show initiative. You see a problem, don't wait for someone else to do it. Do it. Start it. Go, right? Yeah, get started. And then second, initiative with excellence, meaning you're there to follow through. You want to be at the best it possibly can. And if you do those two things consistently in any facet of life, I think you'll find success. And it wasn't that I sought leadership. I just thought about doing the best I could, taking the initiative of what was right in front of me now, and then leadership found me. And that was recognized. Yes. Yeah. I like the the simplicity of the fact that it's the same now as it was hundreds, thousands of years ago. Because obviously there's so many leadership books, there's so many different ways to slice it. But to your point is like, it's actually very simple, you know, taking initiative, mm-hmm. following through well, and really taking ownership of stuff. And, and that gets recognized. Absolutely. It's the person that sticks their hand up when there's a need mm-hmm. that steps forward and gets it done. Guess what? When something actually is a job that needs to get done, who are they going to look for? The person that did it last time. Yeah. You know, it's just logical. So for, for aspiring leaders, the only thing I'll say on initiative too, is let people know that you want to be a leader. You know, don't assume that they understand That's that. That's a great point. Because, you know, I mean, you get hundred percent what you don't ask for. So make sure you, they know has to be developed. Hey, I want to be a leader. Am I doing the right thing? So different things I can do, you know, can I follow you? Can I mentor with you? That's initiative. And you're following through with excellence. The right things will happen. I love that approach. Cause I think sometimes in corporate America, the accountability lines can get blurred obviously. And even the purpose of this podcast is, Hey, what are ways that you can do to enhance your organization, elevate your people, but there's ownership of the individual. So to your point, if you're not expressing and taking proactive measures to seek new opportunities, to get exposure in front of leadership, to, to learn or take on projects that could bridge that gap. Well, the organization, that's not on them to identify that for every single person. So I think that's a great point. You can't affect others. You can only affect your actions. Yeah. And so what are you doing? That extreme ownership. You know, if you're in a world of blame, you're in a very, you know, you're not going the right way. Mm -hmm. So here at Floodgate Medical, which really provides like tailored solutions to medical companies for 
talent mm-hmm. and ways to really level up their organizations. Mm-hmm. How do you kind of set that tone? How does it go from being just kind of a Joe mentality to something that you're encouraging within your organization? Yeah, I think, you know, it really, you're getting to that point of agency and empowerment, which is so powerful. And it's not, it affects an organization really, really well for three key reasons. One is they, you know, uh, the one closest to the problem usually knows the right solution. You know, the, the higher it goes up and gets tugged, the fidelity goes down, right? And you're, mm-hmm. The more likely you're going to make the wrong decision. The, the second reason is you're going to have speed, right? In today's VUCA environment where things are changing rapidly, you can't wait for decisions to be made. You need people to be empowered to do them quickly. And then the final reason is they've really shown that people who feel like they have agency are the most engaged employees. If they feel like they have a choice in what they do and can control and make their personal impact, that is engagement. And Gallup will tell you that the only element that will predict success is not IP. It is not the number of people you have. It's not your market share. It is the engagement of the employees that are there. And if you show give them the ability to have agency, then you're going to be successful. Now, I know probably people are listening. It's like, well, if I just tell people to do whatever they want, right? Going rogue. Yeah, yeah. it's not going to work. So what, what do you do? So I think the core of where you need to start is you need to start with what I like to call a commander's intent. What's the objective? You know, be very clear on what that overall objective is. And by the way, who you are. And those are the core values. And I think a lot of people will put core values on the wall because they think they need to when they create a company. That's not what it should be. It should be really the guardrails for people making decisions that if they know where you're heading and the core values of how to get there and they stay within that, even if they fail, celebrate it because they've done it the right way. Yes. And they, but if you don't give them those two things, they don't know one, which way to go. And two, they don't know what's too far outside the bounds. Mm-hmm. So you have those two elements that commander's intent lined with the core values. Then, you know, let's, you got to model, right? And they don't model what good looks like. As if someone's totally new to an organization, whether it's the right mentor, whether it's you as the leader, you've got to, in any leadership, model what needs to happen overall. And then finally, I think you need to have a culture of candor you know, of that trust element, because if people aren't talking and being truthful and holding back, whether it's up and then you'll have the emperor's clothes scenario, you know, or to colleagues, which is actually more powerful, you're going to get frustrated. So if you have those three elements together, you're going to be able to then have, you know, the ability to have the agency and and the empowerment necessary. Completely. And to your point, that engagement, and then just seeing those results coming through throughout the organization. You know, it's not just at a stop gate of leadership, which you just said so many great insights there. I want to even go back to the speed part when you said VUCA. Break down for people who aren't familiar with that term, what VUCA is. Yeah, yeah. So we see it all the time, right? The volatility, the uncertainty, the chaos that Mm -hmm. that we experience in the ambiguity, right? So Mm -hmm. it's up, it's down. What's going to happen is chaos. It's, you know, and so in that environment, how do you orient yourself where things are changing consistently? You've got to create dynamic organizations that can adjust to that. And also the other thing, I'll go back to that mission. You know, in a VUCA environment, if you have a strong mission, you have a North Star. Uh, yeah. it, doesn't matter, uh, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter what's happening around you. 
Now, I'll give you an example. Great VUCA example was COVID a few years oh ago. Gosh, yes, right? The ultimate. Right? You know, so we sat here, you know, uh, and everyone stopped working. We find people to go work for companies. Mm-hmm. That could be a big problem. Yeah. And our mission and person, like for medical, that's yes. not something that people can just do remote work. Correct. Within. Yeah. So we looked at our mission and we said, hey, our mission is to improve lives by uniting great people with great companies. So we thought out of this, there's going to be a lot of people that are going to be on the market, probably looking for their next great company. Mm-hmm. So let's take this time. Let's not sit on our clean hands and let's create materials and information and support and the tools to be able to support those people because it allows us to fulfill our mission, right? So the world, the wind shifted, but we still had our North Star. So we just had to tack the ship. And we created, you know, in three months, programs we talked about doing for four years. So, you know, it can really have that kind of impact. And that's a good example of of a resilient um, organization. Actually, there's a book. Have you heard of Anti-Fragile? I have not read that, no. So it elaborates on resiliency. You stay the same, but anti-fragile, we don't have a a common word for it in the English language, Mm -hmm. but essentially what happens like when you work out Mm -hmm. where you, the muscles break down, but they come back stronger. And so anti-fragile saying, Hey, in an environment where it could make you make your fragility be highlighted instead, actually it's a stress test. It does break down a little bit, but then you come back stronger. So I think to your point of having that North star, that's guiding your organization, you guys were able to not only weather the storm, but to your point, programs you've been wanting to do for years, you're able to knock out in a few months. Like you guys got that much better because of it. And it eliminated a lot of probably the emotional mental angst that people were experiencing in that hyper VUCA mm. time period. Absolutely. I, one of the uh, great stories, a uh, history I love is a small town in Alabama that made all of their money in a uh, cotton crop and they had the bull weevil come through and wiped out their entire cotton crop and they didn't know what to do. And they decided to plant this new crop that had just come out, the peanut. Well, to this day, that town is the largest peanut producer in the United States. Wow. And they have a statue of a big boll weevil sitting in the middle of their time, town square to remind them of that insect that changed their fortunes. There, a quote from the book, Anti-Fragile, is like, be the flame, like wishing for the wind. Because if you're a match, wind will blow you out. But if you're a flame wanting wind, wind actually energizes a fire. I love it has that. the chance to blow it out, but it energizes it as well. So be that, that flame that's hoping for it. I love that. That's a great analogy. Good. So as far as this, really how you outlined that empowerment and giving them the autonomy to have ownership of projects, they got the North Star. And I love the idea of ensuring they've seen positive models. So that gives them some confidence mentors, people to resource mm-hmm. to. Was this something that say you read in a book, learned in C12? Like, how did you realize like the impact this can have to an organization or experience it yourself? Well, I've been fortunate enough to have great leaders. In my previous role, you know, I had an opportunity to interact with some really powerful CEOs, either on our board or reported to them that really embodied that empowerment philosophy, right? You know, and in many times, I never took over a role where we bought a couple companies and I was a 35, 36 year old sales guy. And they said, Hey, why don't you take over leadership? They're $150 million. I was running full PL operations, you know, supply chain from China. I had no clue. Right. And the only direction he gave me is for the first 90 days, don't make a single decision. 
And then when I call after, you know, what should we do? What should we do? What do you think you should do? Secure leader. Right. You know, but I, that stuck with me because I mean, that was a massive acquisition. You just gave it to an untested guy and still gave me a ton of leash and, and support, you know? And because of that, I felt, all right, I've got, I've got to run. And it turned out to be fairly successful. You know, there's a lot of things that could do that could have been different. <laughs> Course. Yeah, but there's human error with anything, of course. Yes. So that was just how he, I guess, ran as a leader, basically, was... Yeah, he, he get, you know, his, I asked what his objective was right before, you know, I was interviewing for the role. And I said, well, what's your goal? And he says, I want to read the Wall Street Journal till 10 a.m. Uh, 10 a.m. every morning. Oh, I love that. Right? You know, like he says, I'm never going to really do that. But, yes. but the idea is I'm not needed. Yes. And that you create an organization that doesn't need you mm-hmm. is because there's nothing that makes me happier when great things happen here that I don't know anything about. That means we've done it right. Because I know, like we talked about earlier, we're making the right decisions because close to the problem. We're making quick decisions. People are going to be engaged because they're there. And so I'm absolutely excited about having a, an organization like that, because if you don't, you will be the self-limiting factor of growth. Yes. No one, they only can go as fast as the decisions you make and you inadvertently care, you know, can create that. And so you got to purposely not because that's typically people's default. They want to be told what to do. I wanted that leader. I'd get on the call with this call. I'd be like, can you just tell me what to do? Yeah. Like this will make it easier for all of us. Right. You know? Just like, tell me, mm-hmm. you know, please, you know, but it worked. Yes. And that sense of agency and then empowered you. And then your results, I mean, very likely superseded whatever that leader could have done at the time because he wouldn't have had the bandwidth to have seen it through and then still run all the other things where he spent his time. So I think that's such a good example because sometimes a leadership fault can be you care so much that you want to have your hand in everything. But to his metaphor of reading the Wall Street Journal till 10 a.m., it's like, hey, if things are moving well, and then you know your organization is healthy and that your people are having those experiences, which for context to listeners, Bloodgate won best places to work in Tampa now three years in a row. Yep. Nominated for small business of the year as well. I mean, it just, the results are shown through your people when a leadership tone is set like that. Absolutely. And really one of Bloodgate's objectives is to build this business for the people and not hire the people to build the business. And I think, you know, really having that paradigm shift, I heard it a few years ago, is really changed my core philosophy on what choices we're going to make. Because two things. One, what's that enduring impact you make? It's the people you're closest to, right? That's the enduring impact. Number two is usually as a byproduct, you end up doing pretty well as a business too. Completely. Without having to force things through because... Like you went back to in the beginning, when your employees are engaged, that is the biggest indicator of what your business results are going to be. And it's easy for leaders to sometimes see turnover, or I've even heard some they use like shelf life, you know, for certain employees. But if you're building your business around that, I mean, goodness, that you're kind of poking holes and just bleeding out a little Mm -hmm. bit versus if you're building it for the people and man, are they going to take your business places? Yeah. And one of the attributes we've implemented, I think has been really great in leadership is we kind of have a before the decade is out objective, you know? And so before we get to 2030, what does each individual want to have financially, professionally, and personally? What are their objectives? Wow. What do they want to do? 
And our objective as a company is, can we help you get there? And by the way, if that means I want to go start a new business and have a creperie, well, let's figure out what do you need to do to help yeah, do how that? Can you get some of those skills here. Yeah. You know, like, so I, we want to help them achieve that vision long-term, you know, and that's, that's been a, a powerful tool we've utilized that I love to lean back into, especially when you're going to those coaching conversations, development conversations, we go back and start with what's your objective. You want to get here. You know, are we on track? I want to help you get on track. Mm -hmm. I think that's great because you're looking at that person holistically and understanding it's not just whatever the, the KPIs, the key performance indicators are of this company that measures this individual success or not, but like, are they thriving as a human being? Kind of going back to your five F's, like of these multiple areas, what are your aspirations? And if you haven't thought of that, well, let's help you get there, you know, because that's going to stretch you as an individual and whatever you're doing to develop yourself outside of work. Like I found personally, and it sounds like you as well, especially with, you know, fitness and involvement in things locally, like that's actually going to drive you to be better in the workplace, better in your role, better on your leadership trajectory too. Absolutely. So how within Floodgate, because I know that you guys are really involved in the community, mm -hmm. you actually have an element of that where you give back regularly, you volunteer monthly, also portion of revenue goes to making sure you're investing in the community. Yep. So how do you prioritize that being a part of how your employees spend their time while also driving a high performance organization? Yeah. So I'm going to start back with the mission because I think it all starts there. It's their mission yep. is improving lives and the lives we prove obviously candidates, you know, getting meaningful work. There's no more important way of improvement we can do. Our clients who are able to get the great medical products out our people, which we've talked about, you know, that's crucial. But then there's also our community. We see our mission here is also improving the lives of our community. And so that is one of the three elements of our nucleus that we're improving. And we see that as just core of who we are. And so we've set up our Floodgate Foundation through National Christian Foundation. Great, great avenue, by the way, really easy to do, where we just take a point and a half of our top line revenue and we give it away every month to that. And that way, when... We want to be able to bless an organization with some treasure. It's not about how was our month last month? Can we afford to? That decision was already made. Yeah. We have that set aside. We're able to make those impacts. When the hurricane hit, we were able to react quickly and take our foundation and really hit this Suncoast Community Center that was not really overlooked and just do tremendous impact to one of the poorest areas of Fort Myers and really help them. So we were able to react quickly. I think also for our people, one of our objectives is every single month, we're going to volunteer somewhere. Now, we do it as a group here local. And if anyone wants to sign up, it's on our website. You click a button, you sign up. We're recruiters. We want more people to join us. Oh, very cool. Yeah. So that's once a month. You'll see that on our site. Um, but everyone's committed to, go to going, right? And then hey, we have a lot of remote employees. They're committed to doing it. And the reason we find it's a couple hours a month. Mm -hmm. The work's going to get done. Yes. Right. I mean, if that's what it's coming down to, then you're not in a good position. <laughs> Anyways, if it's two hours between success yes. and failure, come on. Yes. But the benefit that we gain from perspective, from, you know, us coming together to do something good, right. And taking a break from, you know, our little myopic world and open our aperture to seeing a greater world is exponentially impacted in the small amount of time than we quote unquote give. Yes. I love how it goes back to the mission of like, this is more than just how we're generating the revenue per se. Like this permeates 
our employees, customers, and the community too. Mm-hmm. And that obviously shown in how your employees recognize your organization as one that they want to work for resonates with them too. Right. That's the goal. Yeah, that is awesome. Well, thinking about how you balance your time as well, because um, obviously you're prioritizing giving back to the community within work, but how you manage leading an organization while still focusing on family and fitness and faith in those elements, how you find you're able to balance your time intentionally to show up better as a leader? You know, I think it's anyone who figures it out can write really, really successful books. <laughs> I think, you know, but it's, it's always a struggle, right? For everybody. But one of the things I would say for me personally, I find that your discipline wanes. And I think the marshmallow test has showed us that discipline wanes. You can only say no so much. Mm-hmm. So the things you really want to do, do it first, right? You know, like get it done, get it done first. I'm an early riser. I get up every day, right? 410. That's my alarm clock. Oh, wow. So stupid. I know it's weird. That's amazing. Weird. So I get up every morning and, you know, I, by the time I've done my fitness, by the time eight o'clock rolls around, I've already got done, a lot of days. <laughs> right. I've already done my fitness. I've worked out, you know, I've already done my faith. I've, I've read, I've journaled, you know, I've already helped somebody, you know, my, a lot of times I work out with somebody else. So they've got my friendship piece, yeah. right. You know, and then that way at night, I've got time for family. Right. And I'm able to focus on my uh, business during the day. So it's just, it's a rhythm and a discipline, you know, but I find the things that you can put off, do them first, uh, get them, you know, it's the, what do you call the pre-mat principle, eat the frog. I mean, there's tons of things, but mm-hmm. it has shown that the things you less likely want to do, do them first because your discipline is a finite resource. Don't assume you're always going to have it. It's the reason bad things happen after midnight, you know? <laughs> Simple. Unravel from there. Right. Exactly. You're done. I think that's a great example too, because for whether it's a leader, like actually at the top of the organization or people throughout, like don't think that just because you're growing in your career that you have to sacrifice things. I think that obviously things get more challenging and how you balance, but whether it's a 410 wake up or, you know, how people fit it in working out on a lunch break or spending time to be intentional is just another way that you can better fuel yourself in the midst of growing your career versus thinking you got to sacrifice those things. Absolutely. And I think there is work will expand to the time allowed. Yes. So creating sometimes artificial constraints, you know, Mm -hmm. within your work time will allow you to have that additional time necessary. And so some people have also had benefits of having those artificial constraints made, whether shutting down email for an hour or whatever, but mm-hmm. it does have power reframing your thinking and allow you to focus on what needs to be here and now. Craig Rochelle is big on that. Um, are you familiar with him? He says that constraints actually are helpful for people say think outside the box, which there is a time and a place for that. But for the most part, constraints actually make you that much more innovative, intentional, strategic because otherwise, if things can just spill over indefinitely, yeah, you're just going to be going for quantity versus really like the quality and intentionality. One of my favorite stories about that is the satellite revolution. Do you know about that story? Mm-hmm. So the satellite revolution all started with the constraint of a Beanie Baby box. Now, I think it was, I think it was University of Pennsylvania. I can't recall which university, but the professor challenged the, the engineering students to create a satellite. But the constraint was... It has to fit in a Beanie Baby box. You know, they were popular at the time. And so that was their challenge to make it a big and more elaborate, more elaborate. And so they all created these satellites. Well, those, they worked. 
And what they found is they could do them for low cost, low transportation. They made them disposable. And so the world of satellites is no longer these big monstrosities. They, they exist, but it's thousands of small micro beanie baby size. And most of the satellites you still see are the dimensions uh, of a beanie baby box because that was the constraint that they put it in to begin with. That is awesome. And I think that should be empowering to people of like, hey, don't sometimes resist and push back on things that are coming in as natural constraints. Like operate within those and you may have the next revolution of something with your personal life or for the business, you know? So thinking about just a piece of advice for listeners, tons of insights all throughout already. But if you could give a word of wisdom to mentees, What's something you'd recommend? Go, do, live. You know, that just, there's been no great stories that started with, so I stayed in bed this morning. Mm. You know, so get out there and if you, you know, jump into the slipstream, embrace what happens. Mm -hmm. That's a great mentality of like, hey, this is your life, own it. You get the choice to enjoy it, get after it. Yeah. Very cool. Well, thank you so much for your time. This has been just wildly insightful, very empowering. And I hope people are taking away really those tangible ways that if you're the leader or you're a person in the organization, you can have that sense of agency. You can create that tone in your team to empower them and also stretch to do the hard things that either you've never done before or your team members haven't been confident in that and the results will show. Totally agree. Thank you for the opportunity. Yes, thank you so much. Thank you for spending your time with me and desiring to elevate your people. I hope this conversation energized you to take ownership in your work experience. Let's raise the expectation and create conditions for our people to thrive because when we enjoy our work, the business results and our lives show it. If you have any guests you'd love to hear from or dive into a certain topic, please message me on LinkedIn. Another great way to influence the world of work is to share this podcast with others. Until next time, continue to elevate your life and elevate your people.